Three, two, one. Welcome to David the Dog Trainer Podcast, episode 120. Here we are, and we got some more topics to go over today. Listen, I'm trying to do my best to come into these podcasts a little bit more prepared than I used to <laughs> in the past, right? I used to genuinely just, you guys, obviously, if you watch this, you fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would wing the shit out of this. We would we would start the podcast, and I'd be like, oh, let's just chit-chat while I get my thoughts together and try to come up with an idea, and then an idea would just get sprinkled into my head, and then I'd, I'd just roll with that for a little bit. But yeah. you know what? We got some things. We had some really great questions in the YouTube comments comments over the last week here that we will um, talk a little bit about. And then we also have had a couple of different people send us different videos to watch and react to. Now, you guys know me. You know I, I don't like doing a ton of the video reaction stuff because inevitably when I watch them, my brain goes to, I want to critique these videos, <laughs> right? And it always pisses people off it when does. I do that, right? So, so... <laughs> I'm tr I'm trying to just just sprinkle some in here and there. You know what I mean? Like nothing too crazy. I'm not trying to like call out major companies or anything like that. But there was a very good one that was sent to me just the other day that I want to watch. Um. So, right. um. So yeah, we got stuff to talk about today, which is cool. Yeah. But before we do that, Josh, you got anything new you want to report to the world? Uh, just got uh back from Shake Shack. Shake Shack. Yeah. Just did a grand opening shoot over there. Um. Otherwise, same old, just really busy. Uh, went to Pins and Needles. Got that stuff done. Yeah. Are you doing Pins? Uh, did you do their stuff before? I don't yeah. Remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. You did. Yeah. Very interesting. But this is now with their... Uh, yeah, I know. They got a new menu and stuff. Dennis was telling me about it the other day. Yeah. New menu and finally got new shots of the, the revamped space after the uh, terrible uh, pipe burst incident yeah. <laughs> during the winter. So. Hell, yeah. Yep. All uh, looking good over there? All looking great. Yeah, it looks actually way better. It was kind of a... I know they made it a little bigger. You said they took out like a bathroom or yeah, something like that? Yeah, there was like that old bathroom that was right there. Yeah. It was like the men's bathroom and it was cruddy. <laughs> I don't... They they had it blocked off so people couldn't even use it. It was so bad. So yeah. it gave them a reason to like finally get rid of it. So Yeah. Yeah, so it was a blessing in disguise, I think. I love it. Yep, that's about it for me. Awesome. I'm excited to see the, this video because his, uh, he all he did was laugh. I was uh, I was chuckling <laughs> a little bit. I, it's like an eight minute long video, and I watched like the first two minutes of it because I had no clue what it was. It was just yeah. sent to me like, "Hey, you should watch this and yeah. react to it." So I wanted to see what I was getting myself into, but nonetheless, yeah, we could watched it. Okay, all so right. we're gonna break down there are three individual comments we got okay. that are you know again I go through and I reply to all of these comments, but there are some that just either one they ask like hey this might be a really good podcast topic right mm -hmm. so it's not like i could really go in and like answer a question necessarily through it right? yeah yeah or two it's a question that's asked that um, requires a little bit more in depth of an answer right mm -hmm. or it's a situation that I would like to elaborate on better, mm. right? So I go in and I reply to all these comments, but as I've been going through them, I've been trying to keep mental notes of which ones might be good ones to talk about here on the podcast, right? Okay. So, so I've got three of them lined up here. <clears throat> um, they'll be everything from fairly short answers to probably more in-depth ones, and we'll kind of see what we got here. Right? Cool. So this first question is from Allie. Allie said, Hi, David. What do you suggest to do if a dog reacts to other dogs when he is in break free 
and sees a dog coming. Unlike the situation when the dog is in a come command while walking and doesn't react. In addition, please, if you could someday do a podcast or talk about the connection slash importance between conditioning the e-collar and between e-collar correction, there are many, many opinions on this. Your professional opinion is important. So we'll see if we could break this down a little bit for you guys. So, so the first part of that question, so basically what they're implying is if you have a dog reactive dog, and I get this question a lot in one-on-one lessons, right? Mm. So if you have a dog reactive dog and you're doing a session with them, generally speaking, your dog is going to be in command a lot of the time, right? Your dog is either going to be in a come command, they're going to be healing with you, they're going to be in a downstay, stuff like that. And those things, when we're working through some of this kind of stuff, help to kind of make the situation easier for the dog to be compliant in because Mm. we're getting them focused on something. What we're trying to do by proactively putting a dog into, say, a down position or walking them in a come command past another dog Mm -hmm. is we're giving the dog direction and telling them, hey, listen, there's things going on in the environment right now that might be triggering to you, Mm -hmm. but I need you to stay focused on this thing. So we're taking 50% of their brain we're focusing it on a task at hand, Mm. right? What that also allows us to do is it allows us to give a correction fairly firmly for non-compliance of a known command or a skill that we're asking the dog to do when they decide to no longer do that thing because they're busy reacting, right? So we're testing their compliance to us around a lot of different triggers, right? Uh, and again, by proactively doing it in the form of utilizing commands and stuff like that, we could hold the dog to a fairly clear criteria and help desensitize them to these different triggers. Now, one caveat that I kind of add to that for everybody is at some point when the dog is not in command, right, you are going to have to stop the unwanted behavior as well, right? So, so when we're doing lessons with people and we're working through this process, What I hear a lot is, okay, well, I'll take my dog for walks in training sessions, right? And in the training session, the dog does pretty darn good, right? They could walk Mm. by other dogs. They could hold downstays around other dogs. When I give active direction, the dog is pretty successful with things. Mm. But when we're not in a training session and we're going outside for a quick potty break, right? Or I'm walking my dog from my house to my car and they might not be in command, if they see another dog, they'll still react, right? Mm-hmm. So basically what this person asked is in that situation, what do you do, right? Mm. To which I replied, I would just correct for the reactivity still, yeah, right? So, so obviously, and this is kind of a lot of the problem with certain force-free approaches, is when they say that your solution to a lot of the problematic behaviors that you're having is teach what they call incompatible behaviors, right? Mm. So a dog can, basically what that means is a dog cannot react at other dogs and hold a downstay at the same time, right? Mm. A dog cannot jump on your guests if they're holding a bed stay while guests come over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what we do is we use commands or incompatible behaviors in order to manage the dog's behavior, right? Mm. While we're working on certain goals with them, right? Mm. So in the case of reactivity, 
We use incompatible behaviors to ensure compliance around the trigger to desensitize to them while we work towards the goal of when the dog is just loose and free to make their own decisions around these triggers, they're less likely to react. And if they do, I could then clearly stop just that problematic behavior. But I've generally gotten it into a more manageable place at that point because I've practiced the dog being calm around that trigger enough times, mm-hmm. right? So I would just correct for it is my answer. So let's say I'm going out for a potty walk and the dog isn't in a heel command, right? Or the dog isn't in a down state and they start freaking out. Well, you're still not allowed to freak out. So I'm going to tell you no and not do it. Same deal with if you're struggling with dog's arousal when guests come over your house. I might work a bed stay while guests come over the house for the first 15 minutes or so to allow the arousal to come down a little bit. Mm -hmm. But once I release the dog from the bed, if the dog goes to jump on my guest, I'm not going to tell them to go back to their bed. I'm going to clearly tell them to not do that thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So we just always have to ask ourselves what our goal is with the session that we're doing and what it is specifically that we're working on with the dog. Are we working on desensitizing and just kind of getting the dog's focus around something or are we working on stopping an exact problematic behavior that you might be having, right? Mm. Um, so, um, so that was basically my answer to that is I would just correct for that behavior, right? Um, specifically I answered when the dog is not in command, reactivity is still a never allowed behavior. And I would still just punish for it. No different than I would punish for the non-compliance of a down command in the presence of the trigger. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the person actually replied back. They said, well, if he is in free, you don't prefer to give the dog command like come. And if he doesn't adjust to that, correct. Um, which again is a normal question we'll get is why wouldn't I just tell the dog come if they start reacting, right? Mm. So the example that I always give everybody is the goal is not do this behavior until you hear come, right? Mm -hmm. The goal is just don't do that thing. So the problem with if your dog is free and they go to jump on somebody and we tell them bed, right? is that they might be 100% compliant with that bed command in that moment. And what that's telling the dog in that moment is you could jump on people until I tell you bed. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's kind of the problem with that. And that's why we would prefer to just correct for that thing initially. So again, the commands in the presence of the trigger is the first step to help manage the dog around it, get the dog into a compliant state of mind around it. So we start patterning in proper behavior around the triggers. Mm -hmm. The next step in this, again, it can be reactivity, it could be jumping on gas, it could be any any problem behavior that you're seeing, right? Counter surfing, anything like that. The second step is allow the dog to be free to make their own choices and then still hold them accountable for the specific thing you don't want them to do, mm. right? Yeah. So the second part of the question, right, is can you do a podcast or talk about the connection slash importance between conditioning the e-collar and between an e-collar correction. There are many opinions on this, and your professional opinion is important. So so this is where you get into terminology is everything, Mm -hmm. right? So what does conditioning the e-collar mean to myself and to other people, right? Mm -hmm. So what a lot of people think of when they think of conditioning in the e-collar is they think of using the e-collar at really, really low levels to get the dog accustomed to the sensation so the dog doesn't perceive it as a negative. That's what most people think it means. Mm. And I'll explain, like I've done in a couple of podcasts already, why that is faulty and why we don't like that, right? The goal is not that the dog likes the e-collar sensation, 
The goal is not that the dog doesn't perceive the e-collar sensation as aversive, right? Yeah. Though there are trainers that will say that to the moon and back, mm-hmm. I completely and utterly disagree with it, right? Yeah. The e-collar is a tool you could use to either inhibit an unwanted behavior or teach a new behavior with by teaching the dog to either escape or avoid the sensation, Right? So again, terminology is everything. To me, yeah. conditioning the e-collar means we're using it in the form of negative reinforcement. Mm. We're correcting with the e-collar means we're using it as positive punishment. In neither yeah. of those cases is the goal that I should be using the e-collar repeatedly over and over again to get the dog used to the sensation. It's just the way I'm applying the pressure. Right. So yeah. look at it this way. Right. If I'm using the e-collar as a correction, or if I'm using it as positive punishment, so those two are the same thing, correction Mm -hmm. equals positive punishment, right? Mm -hmm. I am applying a stimulus on the e-collar that is at a high motivating level while the dog is rehearsing something that I don't want them to do Mm -hmm. to get them to want to avoid that correction the next time Mm -hmm. by not doing that behavior. The best example is my dog jumps on you, The second they jump on you, they get a high-level correction, and they associate jumping with that high-level correction, so they avoid that correction the next time by not jumping. So we've inhibited a behavior, right? Conditioning the e-collar or negative reinforcement, so conditioning the e-collar equals negative reinforcement, is simply teaching the dog to escape a pressure by doing something precise. So let's say I want to teach the dog to get onto that chair over there or mm-hmm. get onto their dog bed over there or whatever it may be, right? Mm-hmm. I could apply continuous stimulation, right? Mm-hmm. Or continuous pressure with a leash or whatever yeah. type of aversive you're using, in this case, the e-collar we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So continuous stimulation that is still set at a level that the dog doesn't like, right? I get them onto the bed and then I turn off the stimulation when the dog gets onto the bed, mm-hmm. right? What this does is it teaches the dog how to escape the simulation. Not avoid it, but escape it, Mm -hmm. right? So they feel stimulation, they get onto the bed, stimulation comes off. The repetition of doing that, the dog learns how to get onto the bed when they feel stimulation, so we could use that to pair a command to. Mm -hmm. So I could say bed, stimulation, get them on the bed, release stimulation, bed, apply stimulation, get them onto the bed, release stimulation. And through repetition of that, that is how you would train a command Mm -hmm. if you were using the e-collar to train the command. Obviously, the same process would apply if I did it with a food lure, right? Mm -hmm. I would say bed, food lure them onto the bed. They get their food when they get onto the bed, right? Um, That is how you would teach a command utilizing the e-collar. Now, in a lot of cases, right, if we're using corrections with our commands, so positive punishment to enforce the command, sometimes it's easier if you've used negative reinforcement first to teach that command because since they already have an association of the pressure turning off when they get on the bed, when they get corrected for not doing it, so if I Mm -hmm. tell them bed, they don't do it, and I tell them no and give them a correction for it, Mm. they're going to have a more clear association of what to do with that correction. Mm -hmm. right yep so the goal is never that the dog likes the e-collar the Mm -hmm. goal is that the dog learns how to either escape or avoid the e-collar so that you ultimately don't need to use it and that happens because the dog doesn't like it yeah right so that is the way that i view e-collar conditioning and i always have and the reason why i hate when people overcomplicate it because 
what we fall into the trap of is we've brainwashed people, mm. your average owner. We've brainwashed your average owner to think mm. that the e-collar should be viewed as a positive by the dog or that the dog shouldn't be nervous of getting a correction mm. or anything like that because they have a bad association with them. Yeah. Right? And what that finds people into the trap of is never using levels that the dog cares about and making it completely pointless that they're even mm. using the e-collar in the first place. Yeah. Right? Yep. So all you need to do, I've said this a million times, right? But I'll say it one more time here. All you need to do is you need to ask yourself, am I teaching something with the e-collar or am I stopping something with the e-collar? And if you're teaching something with the e-collar, your emphasis is going to be on teaching the dog how to escape the pressure. So using continuous pressure and releasing the pressure when the dog does the correct thing. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to stop something, your goal is going to be connecting a single consequence that the dog cares about to a specific behavior to create an inhibition of that behavior. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Okay. <laughs> need that Topo Chico now. I need the Topo Chico. I got to hide <laughs> Yeah, it's just a weird. I mean, just just the definite, like the 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 term conditioning. Conditioning, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a confusing term. What anyway. does conditioning mean? Let's find out. You know me; I love looking up definitions. See, <laughs> yeah, I lost my mouse though. God, oh, gosh darn it! All right, here we go. Let's <laughs> let's find out what conditioning conditioning definition. The process of training or accustoming a person or animal to behave in a certain way or to accept certain circumstances, right? Yeah. So, so even that is a little confusing, mm -hmm. right? So, so it's not wrong, right? So you are training something, right? But the accustoming side of things, right, kind of implies that you're getting them used to something, which yeah. is not really the goal, right? Yeah. But you are training the animal to behave in a certain way or to accept certain circumstances, meaning, right, we are training the animal to accept the circumstances of you could escape this pressure by doing this specific thing, mm -hmm. right? So I guess if you look at it that way, conditioning yeah. would be accurate, yeah. right? Uh, but this also can be interpreted many other ways, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why you get into many different types of conditioning you have, right? You mm -hmm. have counter conditioning, you have classical conditioning, you have all sorts of different conditioning. So, yeah. So that was question number one, right? So, question number two here this is like a long topic question slash just topic, right? Okay. So, I'm going to read this one, all right. right? This is from Joyful Dog Services. Oh. So, they said, on this topic, I now have this client, that small percentage dog. The more we address her, the more amped up she's getting with anxiety. Upon arrival, she is whining an entire walk. She is whining and wailing. So she's at this high state of arousal the entire time. Sometimes as we work, it goes even higher. Regardless of giving her a job, loose leash, regardless if she's had 60 to 90 minutes of exercise already. Some days, she responds really well with a remote collar. Usually, it has to be quite high, around a 60, to get through to her. However, wow. yesterday, she was screaming, yelping, and going into a frenzy and actually would pull or zigzag. I had Brooke working her while I did the brother. 
I asked her what the e-collar was at, and she said 22, yet she was screaming, and it wasn't giving the behavioral response we needed. One trick I'll use, pretty sure it's not productive. I'll do a walk, do an off-leash, high-intensity chuck it. She's obsessed to the point that when I did that two days in a row, when I passed the field to walk by the next day, she wailed and cried, maybe leaking like Vinny did. She'll dart across me and try to go to it. I'll correct her for breaking the heel, but then she holds that anxiety the entire remainder of the walk. Nonetheless, if I let her carry the chucket ball in her mouth, she's quiet, calmer, still anxious, but gets in a walking zone. I just feel it could be avoiding the issue. It's a lab, so carrying an object is very reinforcing for her. The obsession seems unhealthy, though. If she drops it and it rolls under her for a moment and she thinks she lost it, frantically she scouts the whole area, fixating on finding it. Mm. <clears throat> Are there other exercises we could do to exercise that neuropathway to the brain to encourage calm? She does this no matter what activity. She executes all the obedience, but she is vibrating, literally with nerves. It's honestly a little sad sometimes. Is letting her carry an object to just build upon a better mindset with muscle memory something that makes sense? Or do we have to get more firm on our expectations? It's tough because the anxiety seems involuntary, yet she could be manipulative and melodramatic, yelping and screaming on a 22, yet sometimes barely will flinch on a 60-65. Settles in the crate as long as it's closed. No separation anxiety from humans or anything. Even just holding a sit across the street, she starts whining, and the longer we sit, the more intense it gets. If I down her, same thing, holds it down and still whines and whines until it turns to a screech. I don't usually correct that stuff because the expectation is to sit down and she holds it. I'm starting to think I need to correct the impatience so the arousal doesn't keep building and building. Typically, I put in a down instead of a sit. It's a much less arousing position, but not for this dog, apparently. She frantically pees and poops all over the place, sometimes oh, mid-walk, no. or pulls to dart and do it. It's just reflecting the state of her brain, totally frantic, struggling if I have to tighten or loosen the criteria, and if to lower or raise the remote collar for this particular dog. Hopefully you see this. How do we know how much is melodrama incorrectable versus involuntary? And are there any benefits to short-term anxiety medication just to work through some things initially? She is on three times the usual amount of CBD I typically use. It does nothing for her. Sorry to ramble. I had a tough week with this dog. Thanks for being so engaging and helpful as always. Edit, maybe addressing this on a podcast would be better. I'm sure there are other dogs just like that. Just a thought. Either way, looking forward to hearing your thoughts and if you have experience with many dogs like this. Okay. Long one. Yeah. But we're going to try to get into this here. Hold yeah. on. Let me, gather, <laughs> let me gather my brain here on this one, right? Yeah. Okay. So basically what we have, if I'm understanding this correctly, is a dog that is just constantly in a state of let's fucking go. Yeah. And just having a very, very challenging time settling down, right? So, so there's a lot of thoughts going on in this whole topic, right? So you have, right, this dog that... Obviously, they've tried giving the dog a job, loose leash, 60 to 90 minutes of exercise, um, responding inconsistently to the e-collar, zigzagging on the walk, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
You tried to chuck it, right? Like going by the field, playing chuck it, right? Um, tried the CBD, tried all this kind of stuff, right? Sometimes with dogs like this, one of the things that you really need to do is you need to, to, to figure out a way to simplify things as absolutely best as you can. So let's talk about dogs that get themselves really worked up like this, and let's try to, let's try to break down a couple reasons for that, right? Okay. So reason number one could be, and, and I'm not talking about this dog specifically, I'm just talking about dogs that you take them out and they just get fucking jacked up, mm-hmm. right? Reason one is anticipation of just fucking crazy, exciting shit happening, mm-hmm. right? So she mentioned Vinny leaking. That was from me telling a story in the past about when I used to do Mondia Ring with Vinny, we would go to fields, and when we would go to fields, we would always do high drive games, right? We would yep. either play chuck it really intensely, he would do bite work there, or mm-hmm. we would do Mondia Ring training. Yep. Right. So every time he would see a field, he had a classically conditioned involuntary response to get fucking jacked up. Yeah. Right. And he would get like through the roof jacked up. And I talked about with him, I had to kind of play the long game of not trying to stop that in a single session or a couple of single sessions or a week or anything like that. But mm-hmm. over the course of a couple of months, just going to those fields and doing nothing but calm exercises. Right. Yeah. Meaning no chuck it, no high energy things. Right. Mm -hmm. No getting them all jacked up. Going to fields and just working on a nice long downstay. Mm -hmm. Or going to a park with a big field and just going for a fucking two mile walk around the field nice and calmly with them. Yeah. And what happened is over time the arousal came down. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, I don't know in this dog's case, right? Sometimes we have our eyes set on way too short of goals. Right. Mm. So I know she said this comment was triggered from having a rough week with this dog, I believe. This is not going to get solved in a week. Right. And sometimes if we get ourselves into the mindset of this should be solved in a week, or I should see a massive reduction in this over the course of just a couple days or seven days or something like that, mm. what it causes us to do is it causes us to try tons and tons of different things because each day we don't see the progress that we're expecting we should be seeing. It puts us in a brain of, I have to try something else. That's not working. When in actuality, that thing might be working, but we haven't given it anywhere near long enough to work, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, right? So that's reason number one why a dog could be rehearsing these types of behaviors, right? Reason number two for really loud, vocal, leaky dogs, and I think Ivan talks about this a little bit sometimes, is confusion, Mm. right? Excessive vocalization and whining and leaking and all that kind of stuff, generally speaking, is going to be a result of a dog not understanding what is expected of them or how to take in the environment around them. Right. And getting back to what we talked about before of sometimes our expectations and parameters can cause us to do many things. What that will further do is create more stress for the dog because now the dog goes to these environments that's causing this, call it involuntary um, um, display of anxiety and arousal. And they never know what to expect out of us or what we expect of them which is going to keep them even more stressed out because we're constantly changing our parameters with the dog, Mm -hmm. right? So that's another reason why a lot of this stuff can happen, right? If I went to a field and I did something different with Vinny every time where I played Chuck it one day, Mm -hmm. then did downstays the next day, and I think she said at one point in this, 
and again, I apologize if I'm reading this wrong, but she said she would uh, she would go to the park and do an off-leash high-intensity chuck it to the point that when she did it two days in a row, when she passed the field to walk by the next day, she wailed and cried um, and tried to dart across her to go to the field, mm-hmm. right? So you created a mixed message, right? Yeah. By going and playing the chuck it, right? But then two days later, after this dog has had this expectation of, fuck yeah, we're going to the park to play chuck it, and, and mm-hmm. thought about darting past you to go for it, you said, you nailed the dog for it. No, you're not allowed to do that. Which yeah. again... Yes, if you had the dog in a come command, the dog yeah. shouldn't dart across the field to do it. But like, let's make this easier on ourselves, and mm-hmm. let's make this easier on the dog, mm-hmm. right? So if we're struggling with high drive, yeah. I'm not saying don't uh, 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 wear the dog out a little bit, yeah. right? I'm not saying don't do that, but make sure it's not in a way that's going to cause more conflict with the thing that you're struggling with already, mm-hmm. right? And to give you an example, this kind of moves to reason number three why we'll, why we'll see some dogs do this, right? So... I see a very big correlation with really high drive dogs, right? Or or just pent up, we'll call it pent up dogs that kind of display this kind of energy. There's one I'm working with right now, Bucky, mm. right? That's kind of like this. Mm. And um, them living in small condo or apartment style homes mm. where they have very, very minimal to sometimes no ability to just fucking let that energy out. Yeah. Right. Meaning like these dogs don't ever have a place to just run. Forget chasing a chuck it ball because chasing a chuck it ball is kind of neurotic if you really break it down. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if I want to let a dog burn off some energy before a walk to help make the containing it in a little bit easier, chuck it probably would not be my go to because games like chuck it are neurotic of go you know, impulsively go grab and catch, bring back, go grab, catch, bring back, go grab, mm. catch, bring back. You're tapping into that biological instinct of like chasing and killing an animal yeah. and never getting the satisfaction of like actually killing it and stop. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's a lot of ways you can kind of look at that obviously, but it's a very neurotic thing that you're making a dog do obviously, which can put them into almost more of a frenzy. That's the reason why you'll hear a lot of people. And even me, like with Vinny in the past, when I did a lot of chuck it with him, I would almost have to stop him from playing. Right, because he would play it, probably not actually, but he would probably play it until he he had like a fucking heart attack. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because it's so neurotic, he can't stop. Stop. I have to keep doing it. You know what I mean? So, so what I like to do with dogs like that is just find a big area. A lot of people talk about like decompression walk and like sniffing walks are like really big right now and stuff. Right? There's some truth to that Mm. from the standpoint of like my yard. Right, like when I took Bucky in for for some training, some brush up training with him, I took him to my house, and we've got almost an acre fenced in in the back, mm-hmm. and I just let Bucky off leash in our backyard, and I was like, bro, like just go do whatever the fuck you want to do, yeah, you know, like no expectation, explore, sniff, right, like engage your little fucking noodle a little bit and stuff, yeah, with no parameters on you as far as any expectations, right, yeah. So if a lot of these dogs were constantly having them just like bottle it in and bottle it in and bottle it in and bottle it in and they're never having that outlet to just literally Mm. feel no restrictions, right? Mm. Or parameters or anything like that. You're just kind of creating a bomb Mm. that's going to display itself as that crazy, anxious, shaking, oh, I want to fucking go, right? That is going to just explode at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So finding an outlet where they can burn off the energy or exercise themselves or whatever, mm-hmm. but not in a neurotic way, can be unbelievably important. So maybe this yep. dog, right, instead of going and creating arousal in the form of playing chuck it, maybe this dog I find somewhere that I can go get a 50-foot long line and just let them just do whatever the fuck they want to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And just let them just get it out of their system for a little bit, yep. right? And again, this is not all to this dog specifically, but this is things that I'll see commonly with dogs like that, right? The third thing is, she was talking about, you know, the dog is calmer when it's holding the ball, right? Mm. Now, again, we could we could argue the the um, we could argue the 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 productiveness of that because mm. again, it's kind of like this neurotic obsession of I've got my ball, right? So I'm okay, yeah. right? But I know trainers out there that have high drive dogs. There's one in particular who had two high drive dogs that her thing was just she would let these dogs carry around like a Kong all the time in the house. Not Mm. full of anything, but just like when these dogs had Kongs and were holding them in the house, their behavior was just like 10 times better. Yeah. They were more tolerant. They would they they weren't as mouthy right with each other and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like it helps like almost like a pacifier to these dogs. Yeah. Right. And though I'm generally a fan of, like, let's stop the actual problem as opposed to put a pacifier on it, like, in some cases, we do have to look at, like, if it works, it works. You know what I mean? Like, if we're really struggling while we work towards our goal, if something is helping us out, Mm -hmm. like... Great. You know what I mean? Like, like, hell yeah, right? Like, I'm not married to this idea that we have to do things in A, B, C, D, or way, right? Like, like in Bucky's case, for example, this dog that I was referring to, right? So, so, um, we're making a ton of progress with this dog, but one thing we kind of realized was that the e-collar corrections, when he got himself into that state of mind, just didn't really do anything. Right, like he just got himself too worked up, right? Like he, he was too too frantic, right? And like it just created more stimulation. And it was just like it would work sometimes, but other times it didn't. And same deal, like she was talking about here. Sometimes at a twenty, he's screaming his head off. Other times he could be at a hundred and he didn't care about it. Like it was just, it just didn't really do the job, right? Yeah. But what we did find was very effective for him and easier to manage and calm his behavior down was just slip corrections, right? Meaning mm. getting back to pressure on, pressure off, right? applying just steady straight up pressure on that slip lead when he did start to lunge forward immediately caused him to decompress because it's like a it's like a, a jujitsu person right putting you in a rear naked choke like your whole body is going to like settle down when that happens right it's like it like forces you into a calmer state of mind yeah right so that wound up being extremely effective with him and given the fact that is one of his owners a female in particular was really having a hard time physically controlling this dog that yeah. allowed her to walk him in a very very busy place for the first time and feel confident that she could keep his behavior under control if he did try to lunge at anything yeah right oh, yeah so, so getting back to like, we just got to figure out what's going to work for the individual dog. But my last piece of advice to this situation after looking at all those things we kind of talked about is let's pick one singular thing that you're going to do with this dog and not change the criteria for a while. Mm. Just, just even if the dog is still really vocal and antsy and stuff like that, if by just going to the park and only enforcing your walking and correcting it with the e-collar, correcting it however you're correcting it, mm-hmm. right? If that causes the dog to be 100% successful, meaning it's not needing corrections anymore for anything, but it's just very anxious, just work on that for a while mm-hmm. and just instruct the owners to do that every day with this dog for like a month. 
and just see what you see after like a prolonged period of time of the dog realizing I go to this place, nothing exciting is happening, nothing stimulating is happening, there's the exact same clear criteria for me every time, and I'm not even needing to get any corrections for everything because I know exactly what the expectation of me is, and see if that calms the dog down. And then from there, if it doesn't, we can look at maybe adding something else in, right? Yeah. But give your stuff that you're trying much longer to be successful before you're quick to move on to the next thing. I would mm. say that's the biggest piece of advice for anybody that has dogs like this or has difficult dogs in general. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a tough one to work through because it's a very annoying yeah and that's know? the biggest thing with like stuff like that and and the biggest thing with Vinny, for example is like i i would tell the story about him all the time like for the first year of me owning that dog because he was like that we just butted heads all the time and i went through everything in the fucking book like of like the fucking double down bullshit i never really did that was kind of a little bit later in things mm. but i did very similar things to the double down of like mm. correcting for absolutely any sign of anxiety and arousal and and and, and the exercise and the this and the that and, and it, it, it we were just butt heads all the time because none of it fucking worked mm. right like all that shit people tell you to do of like oh when your dog's on a down and they start whimpering or they start loading fucking nail them for it and this and that it, it really it just didn't work yeah right which is why i'm pretty against a lot of that stuff at this point yeah right? And the second I just said, this is just who he is, right? And if I ask him to do something, he's got to do it. But outside of that, he's he's a noisy dog sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And he's going to get a little anxious sometimes with things and this and that. The second I accepted that and stopped fucking nagging him over it, it mm -hmm. actually got better. Yeah. And the reason why it got better is because I didn't hold him to like a ridiculous standard. And on top of that, what I didn't do was I created, he had a black and white criteria. Mm. Over time, because I wasn't shifting my criteria every like week on him to try mm. to stop that problematic yeah. behavior, the anxiety of, I don't know what dad wants out of me, just went away, mm. which calmed him down. And he's still noisy sometimes, right? He's still fucking Vinny, right? Yeah. But he's 10 times better with it. Way better. So, so that's question two. That was a good one. Thank you for all your support, Joyful Dog Services, yeah, by the way. It. We do. Okay. <laughs> all right, next one. This one's going to be a pretty quick one, I think. Okay. So Mark asks, question for the pod or not? It will be. <laughs> You're on now. <laughs> How do you go about communicating the use of e-collars to potential clients? Since it can have such a poor public perception, I do agree with you that trainers in the balance community sugarcoat it, wanting to be the nice e-collar trainer. I also like the point you made on this podcast about the older woman not wanting to push the button and finding compromise. That was in the case we talked about last time of the lady with the small dog didn't want to use the e-collar, but we tried to compromise with a bark collar so she didn't have to be the one correcting the dog. Whatever. Mm. Listen to the last episode if you want to hear about that. Yes. I had a consult with a woman yesterday and asked what previous experience with other trainers and equipment she had. She brought up the prong collar, a training that the rescue sent out to her, had brought the collar and implied that they needed to use it. Her thoughts were coming from an emotional place, and she instantly wrote it off. I've always taken the position of education and not an authority on equipment. Educating potential clients of the tool and how it could be used from a point of punishment or reinforcement. So this is a really good question, and this is another tricky one to answer, right? Because here's the thing. At this stage in our success as a company, right, we don't really need to have the conversation much with people, right? Because yeah. we've talked many times before. 
our marketing and our branding does all of that work for us, right? We are so black and white on the internet that we're e-collar trainers, prong-collar trainers, food trainers, et cetera, et cetera. We use all of these tools. I'm so black and white about not sugarcoating it with people and saying, hey, it's an aversive tool. The dog doesn't like it. But because the dog doesn't like it, <laughs> we got that's to. why it works, right? Et cetera, <laughs> yeah. et cetera, right? Like, like all of what we do and put out there gets that out, mm-hmm. right? And any of our clients that call us looking for training have to go through all of this information in order to even talk to us in the first place, meaning they have yeah. to go through the portal to our website. They need to read about our programs that talk about the tools, mm-hmm. right? Um, they have to watch videos showing dogs using the tools, yeah. right? And then we finally talk to them. Right. Mm-hmm. So by the time we talk to these people, generally speaking, if there's any questions, they say, can you just tell me a little bit more about the e-collar mm-hmm. to which I don't even get into a big discussion with it. Right. I tell people the e-collar is an aversive tool we could use to teach or stop unwanted behaviors. Mm-hmm. Right. And the goal with the e-collar or any aversive that we're using is that the dog learns how to escape or avoid that pressure so we don't have to use it long term. That being said, consequences are a way of life. Consequences are the reason why we as humans behave in the way that we do, the way that we're, reason why we're in a civilized society right now. And to think that it would be any different for dogs is just a, a, a fantasy, right? Yeah. So, so I kind of get into that to which most people are like, yeah, well, that makes complete sense, right? Uh, I further get into the intensity of the e-collars, 100% contingent on the dog's behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Some dogs are very sensitive. Other dogs are much more uh, 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 resistant to it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the biggest thing that helps people is seeing the progress, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like our results speak for ourselves with stuff. Right? Yeah. Our reviews speak for ourselves. Right? When people have concerns, I don't. I'm not going to talk to you about it. Right? Mm-hmm. I'll answer questions that you might have, obviously, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to convince you to like the tool. Obviously, like in this yeah. case, he mentioned uh, the lady saw a trainer through the rescue, and the trainer said they have to use a prong collar, and she emotionally didn't want to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, she emotionally wasn't ready to do training. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, she needed to 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 hit a point with her dog where she felt like I am open to the information that people are providing me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I'll usually point them back in the direction of our testimonials. I'll point them back in the direction of our YouTube videos so that they could see firsthand everything that we're going to do so nothing is going to surprise them once we get into it. Now, you will still inevitably have some people that slip through the cracks that when you start the training process, they're going to be a little hesitant on the e-collar use. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I did a send home lesson with a dog, right? It's a, a lab psycho lab. This dog is actually like bash it crazy. <laughs> it's a lab, right? It's, a, it's yeah. a, your typical lab that just is crazy, crazy yeah. and young. And this dog's nose is just like fucking like a hound, like just absolutely glued to the ground. Yeah. Crazy dog, okay. whatever, right? So, so I go and we go to do our send home lesson. And in the beginning of the send home lesson, the dog jumps on the owner because they're all wound up. And I tell him no. And I correct him at like a 20. And this is a dog that generally works like 60 to 80. And at a 20, this dog was like, "Ah!" (laughs) let out a little yip. And I could just immediately tell the owner was like, oh, no. Very, very, like this is her baby, right? Which I understand. I completely understand. So we had the conversation. I talked about, listen, like... 90% 90% of the reason why your dog yelped at that 20 right now has to do with the fact that 
Um, the dog is so overstimulated right now, and it surprised them because they've never gotten corrected around you before. Mm-hmm. They've never had to deal with any of that stuff before, right? True. So it's it's shocking to them, more or less, right? Yeah. And that, um, you know, you'll see as we move through this session that one, as we were talking, like 20 minutes went by, and I was like, notice this dog hasn't jumped a single time since I gave that correction. So the dog yeah. learned how to avoid the correction, right? And obviously, they're fine right there. They're not mm-hmm. all, like, stressed out or anything like that, right? And two, as we started working through the rest of the session, we were working at levels much higher than that, and the dog wasn't having the same response. And then three, I actually took the e-collar off, and I put it on myself and tapped the button like 20 times right in front of her. I was like, "It's yeah, it really ain't that bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? it's not. And, and as we went on through the session, sometimes people have to just see how everything mm. comes together in yeah. order to actually get it, right? So... So as she saw, we took the dog outside. The dog's nose was glued to the ground. It's like, this is my turf, like trying to sniff around and explore and stuff like that. I had to crack the dog a decent amount of times for not getting into a down. And then after I did that, the dog did like 50 downs perfectly, mm-hmm. right? And then we went and took the dog for a walk. And there were things this lady said. She, she said specifically, we can't walk by that fire hydrant or that rock right there because we won't get past it. She won't stop sniffing it. And guess what we did? We walked right by the fire hydrant and the rock and the dog walked beautifully past it. And I explained to her, I was like, it's because of the corrections. It's because of the consequences that we have this dog completely under control. And then we started getting into the safety side of things, right? Mm -hmm. Of teaching her that the consequences for not listening while off leash in this turf area, right? Like what if she takes off? There's a street right there. Like that's a big problem, you know? And and as we kind of got through that and she saw the dog's behavior so much better because of the corrections Mm -hmm. and she understood all of that side of things it helped us get past it but the only reason why i got into all that kind of stuff with Mm -hmm. her is because we already had her committed to the program yeah right i'm not going to debate with somebody over the phone on why an e-collar is such a good tool for them if they're already averse to it right Mm. i need the people to come into the program understanding and knowing that we are not going to lead you astray right? Mm -hmm. We have a ton of stuff out there that tells you exactly what we do and how we do it. And you either trust us or you don't trust us, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes as newer trainers, you have to have those debates because you're trying to get as many clients as you can and you haven't made a name for yourself, Mm -hmm. right? But as quickly as you can, you need to get yourself out of that boat of convincing people to do the training with you Mm -hmm. and um, just, just letting your work speak for itself. Yeah. So it all comes down to your marketing. So mm-hmm. market yourself in the way that you train, right? Be much more clear about that, and you shouldn't have a lot of these problems. Yeah, makes total sense. So that's question three. Mm. All right, so we're going to get into our video next. All right. Let's move this, this guy over here. All right, so I don't know anything about this person. This is Canella. So, so based on this video was sent to me, the video mm-hmm. is entitled Aggressive Husky Attacks Belgian Malinois at Dog Park. So based on me, what the person said to me, this person has a Malinois that takes places and has the Malinois wear a GoPro on its harness <laughs> and basically talks about the body language and what's happening in all its different encounters, right? <sighs> So what do you think, Josh? You ready for this? Uh, yeah, I love that uh, the title already. Yeah. All right. There's <laughs> going to be an ad for. We'll figure out the ad blocker. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so let's talk about this. So so I'll read along as we watch this. So it says, little backstory on the aggressive husky. I learned he's a rescue. The day after this situation, he attacked a pregnant blue healer, then a male blue healer, then attacked another dog, leaving the dog park. So they're painting this this husky in a bad light that is going to attack this Belgian Malinois, apparently. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Wait. Pregnant blue healer is okay. Didn't do, didn't do no serious damage. <laughs> but like I said on my TikTok, he is a red zone case dogs. All right, listen, <sighs> the red zone thing, right? Like, sure, like if we want to define these terms, right? Like, I guess you could use red zone to yeah. define a dog, right? Caesar talks about his red zone cases with the really yeah. aggressive dogs and stuff. <laughs> My assumption after not seeing this video already is that this dog is probably not going to be a red zone dog. Okay. Up. Run it. Up. Wait, what just that? Hang on. Let me take this back. Up. Oh, it just skips. Uh, why I let my Malinois go in on his own? Thought this was the same husky from the day before. Oh, wow. He's got the red vest, so I thought it was the same one. He was so chill. So this must have been the one from the day before. But boy, was I wrong. <laughs> okay, first off, Whoa. let's talk about this, right? So he lets his he goes to the dog park and he lets his Malinois literally leap over the fence for the dog park and go barreling into the dog park, right? Yeah. So so one thing, right? So so I've run daycares for a long time. Right, we've had daycares at all our training centers, and we've learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. Right, and what is one of the number one things that can set off issues in a stable daycare situation or a stable dog park situation is letting a dog burst in with an absolute shit ton of energy. And in this case, you have a Malinois that I believe is an intact dog from the comments that I was reading on this, mm. right? Go sprinting into this goddamn dog park by leaping over the fence, catching all the other dogs in there off guard, yeah. right? There's a reason why they have a double gated off area at yeah. dog parks is to bring your dog in and let the energy simmer down for a minute before you let yours in. And suddenly, wham, over the fence comes this fucking thing. The squirrels <laughs> are usually running along the fence. So it's yeah. probably peaking everybody's attention. And already your dog's running in kind of hot and like the place is theirs. Yep. Okay. So, so then he says, confident, excited tail wag, referring to his dog. So his dog leaped over this fence and ran beeline for this husky while this other husky was running beeline for him, mm-hmm. right? In addition, confident, excited tail wag. Your dog's hackles are starting to raise a little bit, which is not aggression, but it is a lot of stimulation, mm-hmm. right? And your dog has a high tail, which... Listen, for some dogs, every dog's, you know, tail carriage is a little different. Yeah. But let's watch this video. Um, I'm seeing two. Oh, and that wasn't even the husky. Look at it. Hackles up the whole time. Confident, high tail, chasing and pursuing dogs. Your dog is getting triggered by this husky. 
right? Because this husky yeah. was reacting towards dogs outside of the fence. Mm-hmm. And your dog ran up to that husky because he was attracted to that energy. And yeah. what happens here next? Let's keep watching. Morning. And then stiff body language. Your dog. Get, get, get the fuck out of here. Humbled him real quick, right? This is some Beckman's dog training shit. Right? This is why people get pissed at me, right? Because this is the mentality of yeah. people that say my dog can do no, no wrong, wrong. Yep. right? And they let their dog act like assholes and think that their dog should be the authority of this dog park to humble other dogs yeah. real quick. When your dog is playing asshole police officer, yeah. which is pissing off another dominant personality because your dog is acting pretty dominant also. Yeah. So really, your dog is also a part of the problem here. Yeah. Oh, get out of there. Whoa. Oh, get <laughs> Could have let him do more damage, but no, I don't want this to turn to a bad habit. <laughs> well, it clearly looks like a bad habit. Look at yeah. your dog is posturing over this husky still. Hackles are up. Whoa! Got another owner trying to get some dog out of the way. This dog is not the owner, but did try saying no to stop the attack. But also wasn't an attack, guys. That's not a red zone case, right? Yeah. That was a little squabble between two dominant dogs. Yeah. That was. Baby talk with dominant dogs will not work. Either you go get them or recall them with assertiveness. This person is not baby talking this dog. She's saying, come on, let's go. Come on, honey. She's saying she's trying to get her dog away. What a good face off. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> right there. Right? Yeah, I did it. All right, come on. Okay, so. Oh, did your harness break? Let Deb Grandma fix it. She's not petting the dog. She's checking his harness because she just said that yeah. his harness broke, obviously, because your dog just checked yeah. this dog. This is, listen, first off, this is a normal interaction, I would say, mm-hmm. right? Not that it's good. I don't want this interaction to happen. Mm-hmm. But this is a pretty normal interaction that'll happen when you put two, we'll call it incompatible personalities together, is they mm-hmm. squabble and they want to compete with each other to see who's a little bit more macho with things. Yeah. Now, we could go in and we could stop this problem. If, if these two dogs needed to live together, right? What I would say is, you leave you alone, you leave you alone. You guys don't need to compete over shit. I would stop this dog's reactivity at the fence line. I would stop this dog's fucking barreling up to other dogs in like kind mm-hmm. of a dominant, aggressive fashion. And we would be past the problem quickly. But this guy's acting like his dog is perfectly fine. And this dog is attacking him in a red zone case. This is not a yeah. fucking red zone case. If there's a red zone case, this dog would be in the fucking hospital right now. Oh, yeah. And I... What were you gonna say? No, I, I was. I like how he said, "Oh, you, you need to recall your dogs," but he is not even doing anything with his dog. Yeah. All right, come on, come on, let's go. Come on, Tommy. Dominant dogs don't listen to commands. That's not true. Also, no. All right, you could have a dominant personality dog and still have it very compliant. Yeah. Your dog is not trying to get to know his smell. Your dog still has hackles up, and your dog is still being defensive as well. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so 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 then he calls his dog to go jump over the fence again, creating a burst of energy, mm-hmm. which turns things into a chase game with a dog that we already know has fucking barrier reactivity. Yep. Right? This is just stupid, right? Yeah. I watch videos like this, and the reason why I'm okay with kind of ripping on this video a little bit is because this person doesn't look like they're a fucking trainer. This looks no. like they're some owner that thinks it's cool to make videos like this and go to dog parks and just act like they're the fucking king of the dog park. This is stupid. Yeah. Ooh, hey. Oh, 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 and guess what do you what, what does your dog do? Goes yeah. back to the fucking fence <laughs> and starts trying to start yeah. some shit again. Oh, oh, oh. And and look, be, no, your dog is not standing up for himself. He's behind a fence. He doesn't yeah. need to stand up for himself. And your dog's now causing another problem because your dog's barrier reactivity that yeah. you're seeing right now is starting this other dog to want to come and try to check your dog. Yeah. Oh, and these other two dogs, too, are starting some shit. It looks like those are probably his dogs as well because it's the same person that grabbed the thing. Oh, and then the husky jumps the fence. And then your other dog attacks the husky. You guys like to fucking support these people. I'm not talking to the person that sent this to me, but this person's got like 33,000 subscribers, right? This video has 570,000 views on it. 9,500 likes. Yep. Puppy is getting bullied here, and me having her on leash is allowing it. So I let her go to defend herself. This is so stupid. This is so stupid. this video this is fucking bullshit this is so stupid like let's look at these comments (laughs) how does she not feel an ounce of embarrassment she's holding her cup of coffee and does not care that lady's on her way to a big lawsuit if she keeps reinforcing that dog's aggressive behavior as a dog owner if i catch my dog acting this way i'd be mad as hell i don't understand these owners don't care (laughs) the malinois owner is truly an exceptional dog trainer Uh. the malinois to get in a fight with another dog and let go from command while he's growling is a sign of elite dog. This is stupid. This is fucking stupid. Oh, boy. This is an idiot that has no idea how to keep his dogs under control and thinks his dogs are there to do nothing but just fucking fix everybody else's dogs yep. and thinks they just own wherever they go. Yep. So, listen, if you guys are seeing these videos by this fucking Canela guy, right. he's a fucking idiot. So that's enough of that. Right. We're in and on some spice with that. Yeah. So that's my opinion on that video, guys. Ooh, yeah. Fuck that guy. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. It's just like one of those. It's, he's like looking for trouble. Almost. That's what it feels like. This is why you don't go to dog parks, guys. Yeah. Because if you go to dog parks, people like that might show up with their dogs. Yeah. And might create serious problems for your dogs. Yeah. Great. So, all right, guys, we're an hour in. 
That's what that's what we got. Three yeah. questions and a quick video to talk. <laughs> Didn't even make it through it. <laughs> God. So here we are. Here Josh, we are. you got anything you want to add? Uh, I had a question, but we can do it next week. No, no. Hit me with your question. <laughs> no, um, it, it kind of went in hand with the story that you were talking about on the third question. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a video. I... <clears throat> I can't, I can't find it again, of course, but it was like a, a dog that was um, reactive like on the walk. Mm-hmm. And they had it e-collar trained, you know, but uh, it every time they used the e-collar, it would like heighten the dog up more. So, and they never really like came up to a solution, but it was like no matter where they corrected the dog at, like if there was another dog come, it would like heighten it it's a great, like it would get more, amped, yeah, sure. you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I guess I didn't see like a, an answer to it on the video that I was watching, but I was wondering what your thoughts are like. <clears throat> okay. So, so that's a common thing we'll hear from people who have done e-collar training is that the e-collar makes things worse. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and the biggest thing I tell everybody is yes, there are some dogs that the e-collar will escalate them, right? It just creates yeah. too much stimulation. It pisses them off. It's not motivating enough to suppress their behavior. And because of that, it nags them and frustrates them more, mm-hmm. right? But in most cases, what we see is that owners will unintentionally train their dog to fight back when they feel the e-collar pressure. And how does that happen? That happens by them half-ass correcting things. So let's take an example of your dog barking out the window, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say your dog is really horrible about freaking out at the window at people that walk by. And you try to correct your dog every time they do it, meaning the dog runs over to the window and starts barking, and you tell him no, and you correct him, Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't actually stop him, really. Maybe it brings it down a notch or two, but it doesn't actually stop them, right? They keep barking out the window, or they keep showing defensive behavior out the window or something like that. But every time you still give them that little correction, right? Or maybe you correct them twice and then you correct them twice and you're like, ah, this isn't working. And then you stop, right? What happens is every time you run into that situation where you correct the dog thinking, oh, I corrected the dog, that's enough. But Mm. you didn't actually see a reduction in the behavior or see the behavior stop. Mm. You teach the dog that what stops the correction is by fighting harder and trying to react mm. out the window more. Mm-hmm. So when you run into a really intense situation like dog reactivity, if you've half-assed corrected all this stuff before and the dog knows in the back of their mind, I could fight past corrections. They don't actually mean I need to stop doing the thing that I'm doing. Mm. What happens is the dog throws more intensity behind it. Yep. It's like if you, like as a kid, if you're, you would get in trouble for something and your parents would say you're grounded for a week. And mm. after two days, you sulked and threw a fit enough, and they said, fine, you can go out. Yeah. Right? What happens when they actually try to enforce the boundaries? Right? Mm. You throw a bigger temper tantrum because you think yeah. that if you just sob and sulk and <laughs> throw a fit and stuff like yeah. that enough, that finally they'll give in and they'll stop trying to punish you. Mm. It's the same thing with dogs. Right? So the key here is it's not about the e car. It's not about the correction. It's not yeah. about anything like that. It's about your commitment follow through and consistency behind the correction that you're giving Mm. right so that's the first thing that i look at when i hear people tell me that and nine out of ten times that is the solution for it Mm -hmm. okay so more of a a consistent basis and i guess even like would you call that like an opportunistic dog sure you know yeah yeah. you just gotta commit right like like if you're gonna stop something stop it right don't try to stop it yeah Right to to that 
Canela video, right? When he was talking about the ladies not doing anything. To, to agree with that person for a second, what she was trying to do, she was trying to say, come here, come on, let's go, right? And the dog wasn't listening to her, mm-hmm. and then she stopped trying. Yeah. Right? Instead, and, and again, like I said, like in that video, like that guy was starting a lot of the problems there. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right? But yes, like that is how you teach a dog to blow you off or to mm. fight you more. Like, let's say in that situation, she had an e-car. She was saying, come on, come on, come on. And tapping at a just level the dog it, yeah. didn't care about, right? Mm-hmm. And then just stopped. Yeah. That would teach the dog, when I feel this stimulation, it doesn't fucking mean anything. I can keep doing what I want to do. So mm. if we do that too much, then we start trying to jack that e-collar up. When the dog is more frustrated and more pissed by the sensation or doesn't like it more, they're going to more intensely try to fight it. Mm. Right? Yeah, so it's like a snowball effect, pretty much. You just got to commit. Like, every time you try to get your dog to do something, you have to follow through and you got to get them to do that thing. Yeah. Right? Regardless of what it is, and you won't run into that problem if that's the case. You got to capitalize on all of those situations you run into. Yeah. Yeah, because it was, I thought it was a good video or a good question to bring up because I feel like you, there's probably more than a few people that try to say that. Oh, definitely. So, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's the missing link with it. Like nine out of 10 times, 9.5 out of 10 times. Yeah. There we go. That's a that's a easy, that's a better way to end it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> some knowledge. We'll end with some knowledge. Yeah. And we'll correlate it to that video. Yeah. Perfect. There we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, cool. we'll be doing another one here Thursday. Yep. We'll catch you then. See you.